There we are. There we are. Hey, everybody. Hi, everybody. Welcome back on this Monday. Yep. This Monday. You know, last Monday, remember, we had the... We, we had lost internet connection, so yeah, we're hoping that doesn't happen today. Knock yes, on wood or whatever we is where we suspicious had, people do. Yeah. But what we did notice is the next morning when I got up early and I happened to look down our property and there were two trucks that said Spectrum and they were working on this big box that's between our house and the next door neighbor. So we had seen the we had seen it there one other day before. I think they messed it up and then they came back and fixed it. Well, that could well be. It's happened. They've, it's happened. Cut, they've actually cut the line. Yes, they in have. In the past, inadvertently, I suppose. But anyway, we're glad everybody's here. Yes. Hopefully, it's all going to stay up and working today. Um, it's a, another warm one out there. But it's not 100 yet, though. Not 100 yet. No. Is it that something? Yes. I heard last night it was only going to be high in 95. That's how pathetic we are I now. just came in and it's it was 95. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon and we're excited. We're doing a happy dance because it's not 100 yet. <laughs> Yeah, but remember the other night it was 102 yeah, it and was like crazy. 10? It was, it was crazy. crazy. It so, really was. But anyway. We're glad you're all here. Yeah, it's great. Um, I know many of you got to see inside the beautiful, beautiful Hasley Chapel yesterday. And if you didn't get a chance yesterday, I hope that one day um, you'll be able to get in there soon. Soon you'll be able to do it. Yes. It is It is. Um, just it's spectacular and i think saturday night worship has now moved yes to that space yes so the five thirty per service on saturdays right. has now moved into that space mm -hmm. so how blessed are they really that this Boy. is wow yeah it's great yes. so um but i know a lot of those five thirty people have been members of saint andrew for 35 yeah. plus years and they have, um, they really helped start the whole foundation all the way along. Yes, yeah. with Robert from day one. So I think he'd be very pleased he to would. know that they he are, would. they are there. No doubt. So what else is new? Rangers are doing well. They're three games up in the American League West. They that's are, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's good. Yes. You know. Yep. And um, I'm going to put a shameless plug in right now for the Second Act Ministry because I don't know if many of you know that there is actually a Second Act coming up in um, mid to mid towards late anyway September 18th. That's part of the Second Act Ministry. You could sign up on Realm, and it's to go to a Rangers game. And of course, it's the beautiful new stadium where everything is indoors. But we would get some premium area where we're would be seated inside and um it may sound a little pricey but i have no idea what baseball tickets cost anymore it's 75 dollars a person but you get a 25 dollars voucher off any food or any merchandise that you would like that night hmm. so um i'm wanting to go i well, haven't I signed up yet, go. but i think yeah. i'm i'm thinking it would be kind of fun and it would be a nice way to see a game with our friends you know, from St. Yeah. Andrew. And they're doing well this year. Yeah, I mean, yes. really. It's good all the way all the way around. It wouldn't make Robert Hassey oh, very happy. He was such goodness. a big Rangers fan. He was. I mean, he was Stuck it out. through thick and thin. <clears throat> thick, 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 thick and thin. Thick and thin. He was such a Rangers fan. Okay. But anyway, honey, I guess it's probably time. I'm looking. It's a few minutes after okay. three. You can pray us into this. I will pray, as my Baptist friends would put it. I'll pray us into this. That'd be awesome. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, again, we are grateful to be here today. We're grateful for the opportunity to come together in this way and to study your word, to learn, to 
to gain a deeper understanding of Mark's gospel so that we may come to know Jesus better. That's really what this is about and come to, to, to hear the good news about Jesus and uh, make it our own in an ever deeper, truer, and genuine way. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. Okay. Move Very out good, of your Patty. Way here. Okay, so Patty's going to go around, and I will tell you that we are in Mark chapter twelve, verse one, because we just started the parable of the tenants last week when everything crashed. So we're just going to go back to twelve one, the parable of the tenants, and I'll do a little setup. Um, just a little bit of a refresher. Everything we're doing today, actually everything we did last week, everything we're doing today, it's all on Tuesday of Holy Week. The way Mark does it, all of these, there are a lot of confrontations here, a lot of encounters, they're all on the Tuesday. So, um, and they're happening in the temple courts. So last week I brought a few things, a little, just a bit, just a bit of um, show and tell. So let me decide if I can make my, okay, so there is the big panorama model of Jerusalem and Jesus' day with the huge temple mount and the temple courts there surrounding the temple proper, which is the tall structure in the middle. And here's another shot taken from 180 degrees in the opposite direction. So you're looking at the back of the temple, but it gives you a real good impression of what those temple courts are, which were just this huge paved area with shady colonnades on the side where people could gather. Um, here, this is called Solomon's Colonnade, um, providing shade and, and for visitors. And here in a painting by James Tussaud is Jesus sitting on the ground teaching and talking. And he has disciples around him and probably people who are curious. And he has standing over him, staring down at him balefully, some Pharisees and scribes. And as we will encounter today, some Sadducees. So this is happening all on Tuesday, just going around from place to place, okay, in those temple courts. So the emphasis is on these confrontations. And um, last week we finished up chapter 11, which begins with Palm Sunday. Um, and then the authority of Jesus was questioned by the... Um, powers that be on the on the Tuesday and now he began he's going to teach them a parable now this is a very confrontational parable so I know we read some or all of it last week I can't remember honestly so let's just go back to chapter 12 verse 1 so Jesus then began to speak to them this them is really focused on his opponents Right? There are others there, right? But it's really his opponents. The, the priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. And he says, here's the parable. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers 
and move to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now, while Jesus is saying this, his listeners would instantly connect this with passages in the Hebrew Scriptures about God. God is the vineyard planter, the nation of Israel is the vineyard, and the nation of Israel, the vineyard is supposed to produce fruit and, and all that stuff. So it's a pretty good metaphor. Um, it's one that Jesus uses when he talks about the vine, right? I am the true vine. He, um, and it's all built around bearing fruit, um, existing in uh, abiding in the vine and the vine abiding in the disciples and, and the nation of Israel being a, a true fruitful um, expression of faithfulness to God. But verse 2, at harvest time, he, the owner, sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him. They beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. Well, then the owner sent another vineyard to them. They struck this man on the head, and they treated him shamefully. The owner sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. So, as the parable is going on, and Jesus is staring back at his opponents, and he's telling this parable, it's, it's not very hard to understand that these are the prophets of God, whom God has sent to the nation of Israel to call them back to God, to call them back to faithfulness and compassion and mercy. And instead, the prophets have been rejected time after time after time after time, if not beaten, marginalized, because the leaders of Israel have been terrible shepherds and have led the people away from God rather than toward God. And so this is a parable of condemnation, of condemnation on those who have rejected God's messengers, God's prophets. Verse 6. The owner had one, one, one person left to send. A son. A son now. Whom he loved. And he sent him last of all, saying, Surely, surely they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir, the heir to the vineyard, the heir to it all. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. We'll take it, we'll steal it, it'll be ours. We'll be on top of the world, baby. So they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? Well... What do you think? What do you think? Should the owner of the vineyard be wrathful? Finally, he sends his own son. He is rejected and beaten and killed. Should the owner of the vineyard be wrathful? Of course. This is wrong on every level. 
he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Right? And again, I, every time I come to this, I, I just, I picked, remember a few weeks ago, we maybe two weeks ago, I took you to Jeremiah, 600 years before, where Jeremiah stands in the temple gates and says, you can't do this. You can't ignore the poor and the widows and the orphans and then come here and imagine you're going to wrap yourself in the temple. That is not God's way. And so now Jesus pronounces this parable of condemnation on the leaders of Israel. It's, what is it? I think it's a word form of Jesus turning over the tables. He turns over the tables. He brings everything to a call. He said, this is my father's house is to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. This is a, this is a word. This is the same thing in words in a story, in a parable, this condemnation. <clears throat> because Jesus' theme in this is that if the people follow these wretched, faithless leaders, they are all headed for ruin. For ruin. Just as 600 years before, when Jeremiah was ignored, and the people headed for ruin, and the Babylonians overran Jerusalem, killed thousands, exiled tens of thousands, destroyed the temple, made off with the ark, probably burned it down, all of it. And now Jesus is saying, this is happening again. Why? Because of the faithlessness of the leaders. Verse 9. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? Right now that the tenants have taken the son and killed him and threw him out, he will come and give those, kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And then Jesus says, Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Okay? So, Jesus is that cornerstone. The builders of this magnificence have rejected Jesus. But he has, he, they rejected the stone, but the stone is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the one this is all about. And Jesus goes on. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. A constant theme of Jesus is that the leaders do not read their scriptures well. They have them. They should understand them. They should be able to hear God well. Um, <clears throat> the parable of Lazarus is about this very point that you don't need, you know, angels and other things to come and tell you what God wants. It's clear in the scriptures what God wants. It's clear in the law of Moses what God wants. It's just that they ignore him. They ignore him. Lots of people that I read about or sometimes meet in the Christian life have very mixed up ideas about what it means to be a Christian. And they try to invent things or make it way over complicated, and it's not. <coughs> it's not. We're to love God and to love others. Everything flows outward from that. 
and the leaders of Israel have not taken the nation in that direction. Instead, they've rejected, now they've rejected Jesus. They murdered John the Baptist. And they're about to murder Jesus because it's Tuesday. Tuesday. Jesus will be crucified on Friday. Verse 12. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. Of course they did. You'd have to be, I don't know, I don't know what you'd have to be. You'd have to be a potted plant not to get it. But they don't arrest him on the spot. Why don't they? Look at the last line. They were afraid of the crowd. Even people in charge are, have to be afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went him and went away. What's the story of Tiananmen Square? That the Chinese government was terrified of the people. So much so they sent tanks in to confront their own people. Um, every dictator that's ever lived has had to be deeply concerned about the crowds, the people, because there's so many. There's so many. And here the chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders, even they have to be concerned about the crowds. And so they don't arrest Jesus here. But you, you, you see how this confrontation is just building and building. You know, for many years I've used the metaphor of an old-fashioned alarm clock. I had one at one time in my life. You probably have the kind that are all mechanical. And you have the key on the back that you turn tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. You know, the spring, you can hear the spring in there again, tighter and tighter and tighter. You have to be careful not to overwind it, or the whole thing is likely to go kablooey. <coughs> kablooey. Yes. That's a technical term, Patty. Very. So, that's what's happening. It's getting wound tighter and tighter, and it's going to go kablooey in one respect on Friday, but that is really only the beginning. The big kablooey comes in about another 35 years when rebellion breaks out and the Roman legions march in and there's death and destruction everywhere to see. And in chapter 13 of Mark, Jesus is going to talk about that because he sees it coming. It's, it's a repeat story. It's like a rerun. It's a rerun of what happened 600 years before. And because people don't really know their history about Israel, they don't know these, how to tie these pieces together, they don't realize it, that what's happening here is really in many ways a rerun of what happened 600 years before. And it will come 40 years after Jesus to the same horrific, horrific conclusion just as it did 30 or 40 years after Jeremiah. And God has told the people about this. So, anyway, okay. So, anything anybody want to talk about? Type it in. Tell Patty. Call Patty and tell her. <laughs> sure, anytime. Anything anybody? Anything Patty? No. Nope. Okay, wow. 
So now what's going to happen? The confrontations are going to continue to mount. That's what the Tuesday picture is. Boom, boom, boom. It's like a, it's, it's like a heartbeat that's beating faster and faster and faster and faster. Verse 13, later, same day, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They're going to try to trap him again and see if they can't accomplish two things. They, they need to catch Jesus saying something worthy of condemnation and they need to get the crowds against him. That, that's what they need. So now they're going to send some other inquisitors, Pharisees, Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. So they came to him and they said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of dignity, of, in, of integrity. You're not swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Talk about syrupy sucking up here. I was here. just going to say suck up. They don't mean a word of it. They're just, they think they're so smart. They could come along here and speak some silver words and butter them up and Jesus will step right into the trap. So after all of that flowery little, you're so wonderful, you're so wonderful, you're so righteous, they attempt to spring the trap. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or should we not pay? So what is it? It's a binary question. Yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. Should we pay or should we not pay? Should we pay the imperial tax to Caesar <coughs> or not? Now, tax questions in every culture, in every part of the world that has ever existed are difficult. Tax stuff is difficult now in 21st century America, right? Yes. Sure. Back then, sure. Um, when Jesus was about 10 or so growing up in Galilee, there was a tax revolt. People got paid, got tired of paying the piper, paying Rome what Rome thought it was owed. And so they revolted in Galilee. They were, the revolt was centered in a city, um, I think the largest city in Galilee at the time, Sepphoris, and it was a big revolt. And the, the Romans, of course, couldn't tolerate that because if you're running a big empire, the last thing you can do is have little pockets of it start to successfully revolt. So they stomp it out. And according to um, the Jewish historian Josephus, that is when they crucified 2,000 Jewish men and women, according to Josephus, along the roadways of Galilee to put down this revolt and say to the Jewish people, people, here's what happens if you try to stand up to Rome. So, so this tax business has always been, well, delicate and problematic.
if Jesus says, don't pay your taxes, he's going to be in instant hot water with the Romans, which would please the his opponents, right? The priests, the yes. Pharisees, and the rest. But if he says, pay your taxes, right? He's going to be instantly in hot water with the crowd. See, so it's actually a pretty wisely and a pretty smartly constructed trap. Might well snare a lot of people who aren't Jesus. It seems like, because it's a binary question, he's going to end up antagonizing either the Romans or the crowd. So what do you do when you find yourself in that sort of situation? When you're caught in a binary, um, a choice, and either choice is unacceptable. Well, you have to construct a third way. You have to construct a third way, which is what Jesus is going to do. So, look at verse 15, second, little second part, after they say, should we pay or should we not pay? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Of course he did. He knows this is all about trapping him. And he says to them, why are you trying to trap me? <sighs> don't you love my sound effects? <laughs> I don't know. So Jesus says, bring me a denarius. That's a very common coin. Like It's about like a day's wages. Very common coin. Bring me a quarter. Whatever. Let me look at it. Well, I'll tell you right now, when he says that, the room, if that's where they're, gets very hush, super quiet, because the coins are cast by Rome, and they will typically have on them a graven image. That's like, that's like the first of the Ten Commandments. Do not make graven images of a graven image, an engraved image on the coin of whom? Of Caesar, who even by this time is offering across the empire and enforcing across the empire a growing Caesar cult where the people will worship Caesar as divine in some way, some way like half God, half man sort of thing, and come to the temple and pay it pay pay homage and and put in a, we'll call it a temple tax or a temple offering or whatever in this Caesar cult that will grow across the first century and indeed on some of the coins it will even say something like Caesar son of God right because of this whole I mean that the Roman Republic is gone the Roman Republic ended about 60 years before, Caesar Augustus ascended to the throne, and now his successor is on the throne of the Caesars, and uh, it's all changed, it's all different, and these Jewish men know that in their clothing, where they have coins, they are likely to have these graven images of a man who calls himself God. Wow, that's bad. Well, so they brought him the coin. And he asked them, whose image is this? 
Whose inscription is this? And of course they have to say Caesar's. Anybody can see it, right? Well, Jesus then said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Amazed. They, they thought they had set such a perfect, such a perfect trap. They had him. The perfect, should we pay or not pay? Perfect. It's like a pay or not pay. It's of a, of a keg of dynamite. Pay or not pay. And now Jesus just took, he just took, took like the, <clears throat> the sword and just cut right through it. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now let me tell you, let's talk about that statement from a Jewish perspective because over the many, many, many years of my life, I have often heard sermons preached on this and they've all, ten, men, not all, close, many of them have gotten this wrong because we transported into our world and we imagine it's some sort of separation of church and state kind of thing, right? Right? Because that's kind of like who we are. And Thomas Jefferson wrote about, like in the Virginia, he wrote all about the separation of church and state, I guess. But that's not their world. In their world, there is no separation between church and state. One of the titles held by Caesar was Pontifex Maximus, chief priest. Who's the chief priest of all of the Roman Empire? A man of deep religion? No, it's Caesar. It's Caesar. So let me ask you, if it's not about separation of church and state, you know, you got this pile of stuff that's Caesar's, and then there's this pile of like little nice spiritual stuff that's ours. Let me ask you. When he says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, here's my question for you to contemplate. What is not God's? Everything is God's. Everything is God's. Yeah. What is truly Caesar's? Nothing. Truly nothing. <laughs> what is God's? Everything. Everything. Now, I don't know how many people in the room that day would see that layer of meaning in this, but I am pretty darn sure that that is what Jesus had in mind. He's a good, profound, righteous Jewish man who understands scriptures with a depth that none of his peers do. As demonstrated when he was, the, when the, the Home Alone story, when he was 13 or so left behind in Jerusalem. So I do think he, under, he he fully intends the listeners, Mark, you and me, to get this. This layer of meaning, well, really, truly, what is God's? Nothing. Because who is Caesar? Nothing. Who is Lord? Jesus. Is Caesar Lord? No. Does Caesar know that? No. But just because Caesar doesn't know it doesn't make it less so. Jesus is Lord. So wow, it's see how short that story, that little encounter is, and it's so punchy. It's just 
You know, sometimes when people write things, if you write them with a lot of brevity, it, it increases the weight of it. This is sparsely written. And I think that brings out the power in it. And I love the last law. And they were amazed at him. You know, you and I have been on a long journey from Mark chapter 1 to today. I don't even know when we started this journey. But if we went back to the beginning, we and we would remind ourselves of how often Mark uses the word amazed with respect to Jesus. Jesus does things and says things and the people are amazed. And here I think the Pharisees, the Rhodians, they all they all walk away frustrated and yet amazed. Amazed. Who are they dealing with here? This guy's this guy's a nobody from a nowhere place, Nazareth and Galilee. Ah. So I heard um Okay, so I heard some typing going on. Well, two things. First of all, it was so nice. Louise Stokes said that she just stumbled on over here. Oh, she's so see? Glad she did. Oh, so. Louise, you didn't stumble. God held your hand and brought you here. <laughs> we are so <laughs> glad you're here. Really. <coughs> and the second message was um, Josie said that a sermon she heard on this text focused on the word image. Image on the coin was Caesar's, and man has God's image. Well, true. Okay, so that's true as far as it goes. But is Caesar made in the image of God? Yes. Yes. So I think this image business can be tricky. It, it is why God said don't make graven images. Right? Yes. So it is Caesar's image, the image of a man. But any, any picture from the time would be, would be that way. So... The Jews, when they got this right, they didn't really make images of anything uh, in the way of people, animals. Nope, they just didn't do it. If you look at their artwork, like what adorn um, synagogues and so forth, if you go to Corinth, Corinth, um, Capernaum. If you go to Capernaum, there's just that big, that big um, synagogue there, and, and you look at all of the all of the decoration, it's all geometric. All geometric because they just very much tried to stay away from any art that could be seen as a great, as an as an image. It which is very different, for example, uh, consider the artwork we find in Pompeii. Filled with people's pictures. The Jews just didn't really do that. Um, so anyway, thank you, Josie. Always, always filled with insights you are. Okay, so guess what comes next? Can you believe it? Another encounter, another opposition. I'm getting so excited here, my coffee's getting cold. All right, so I'm going to need to explain to you who the Sadducees are. The Sadducees are Jews from this time, obviously, 
and we don't really know much of anything about them except what we get in the Gospels. There are other words for them. They are the, they are the wealthy. They are totally aligned with the priestly class. Um, it's thought that perhaps Caiaphas was a Sadducee. Um, they are perfectly fine with Roman rule. And so they were kind of very much set apart from your common, everyday, regular Jewish folks. So they don't want the world turned upside down. They're perfectly happy. So they don't, you know, this business about Jesus coming in and turning the world upside down, Mary's song to um, Elizabeth in Luke, they don't want that. They're perfectly happy. They're on top of the world. So the last thing they want is anything turned upside down. And really part and parcel of that means that they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, for the Jews, what did that phrase mean, the resurrection of the dead? The belief that when God stepped in, finally, to put things right, to put things right, with great power and finality, God would resurrect the dead. God would resurrect his people. God would bring the nations back to life. The, the, the flesh would be stitched on the bones and like Ezekiel and and. It was a, by this time, it's a belief in this bodily resurrection um, that would enjoy this new world that God is ushering in Isaiah 66. So, they deny this resurrection because what does it imply? It implies the world being turned upside down and they would lose their special place and all this rest of it, right? Um, all of a sudden, they might not, might not be the only ones with 70-inch uh, TVs or whatever. <laughs> so, so, so is that kind of like, is like their <coughs> mindset more like eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you may die? Because that is the end for them. Well, you know, okay, so if you're a Sadducee and you do not subscribe to the resurrection of the dead, then what do you hold to? Probably the traditional view, Jewish view that you, when you die, you pass into some sort of shadowy existence in Sheol, the place of the dead. You're not alive, you're not dead, there's no bodily, there's no embodiment of you. It's, it's some place that in the Jewish scriptures you want to escape from. Lift me out of Sheol, the psalmist will say. Lift me out of the pit, the psalmist will say. So the Sadducees, that's, that's kind of where they're, they are left. But it is, if you think about who they are, powerful and wealthy, it's easy to see why they won't subscribe to the Jewish belief that turns the world upside down, raises all the dead, ushers in a new world, upsets everything. Okay? And so now they are going to take their stab at Jesus. And the way this is written, it makes you think they've done this before. Maybe not Jesus, but other people. When they are challenging the beliefs of, I think certainly a majority of Jews in Jesus' day, that there is going to be a resurrection of the dead. And so they come to Jesus now. Okay? 
you have anything about that, just type it in or call Patty. Verse 18, then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said. So, I mean, that's a respectful way to begin. Teacher. And they don't load it up with all kinds of hypocritical, you know, flowery stuff. Teacher, they said. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Okay, that is true. In the Law of Moses, you see expressed what is known as leveret um, uh, marriage. In that, in order to provide protection and security for women, in the world of Conan the Barbarian, if a man dies, his brother is supposed to bury the widow unless the widow has children, male children, who can protect her and look after her. You know, we don't do this now because we live in a very different world and people have, but um, one, two, in the Law of Moses at this time, I mean, compared to our day, how long ago was? 3,500 years ago. 3,500 years before now, it's kind of a sensible way to do it. And you see it played out in the Old Testament sometimes. Okay? And it just reflects the place of the problem women have in a world dominated by muscles, spears, and testosterone without any law or anything like that to, to, to help them. So... Scott, Patty? I have a little thing there from uh, Susan. She just put, the Sadducees didn't believe in punishment or rewards handed out after death, nor did they believe in angels or spirits. Yeah, they took that whole package of stuff and they just kind of got rid of it all. Yep. Thanks, Susan. Thank you, Susan. Okay. So they, they rehearse for Jesus and tell him, okay, here's what the law of Moses says, and they, they have it right. And then they say, well, now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too, after being married to these seven each of these seven brothers in succession. <laughs> yeah, you see what they've done, what they've tried to set up here, right? So at the, verse 23, at the resurrection, right, right, that you believe in, but we don't, because given your silly beliefs, at this resurrection, you, you, you keep talking about, whose wife will she be? Since seven men were married to her. Ha, and you can see him standing back putting their arms over their chest saying, we got them now. We got them now. Look at this. We're going to let the crowd see how silly and illogical. Illogical, that's a good word. People are so in love with logic sometimes. You know, they, they miss the glories and majesty and mystery of life, but they they figure that we got Jesus now. Okay, so who, which one of the seven is going to be your husband? So Jesus answered, hmm, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures 
or you do not know the power of God. See, for Jesus, he oh, he just so often sends his accusers back to the scriptures, saying to them, you don't really know your own scriptures. Verse 25, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Okay? So marriage is not part of the new heavens and new earth. I mean, in Patty's case, who would she be married to? Gary, her first husband, who died of cancer at 37, or me? Well, that's not a question on the table because we will all have hearts that are so large and gigantic that they will transcend a marriage. Um, this has been Christian understanding and doctrine for 2,000 years. You know, the, for the Mormons, it's different. For the Mormons, they marry for all eternity and end up getting their own planet and having their own spirit children and all this kind of stuff. And for some, that's, that's, that's attractive. But in the new creation, in which one doesn't need procreation, when we have to procreate because we die. Think about that sometime. I was reading a commentator on this in the last few days, right? Yeah, we have to procreate because we, we die. I mean, the, the planet would be empty forthwith if, if we didn't procreate. But in the new heavens and the new earth, Death is a thing of the past. No need for procreation. So in any event, Jesus says, when the dead rise, they're not going to marry, they're not going to be given in marriage, they'll be like the angels in heaven. Now, about the dead rising, you skeptics, have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. So what does 26 and 27, what's that about? Well, Jesus is responding to them, saying, you're denying the resurrection of the dead. Yet in the scriptures, from the very beginning, you can see the truth of it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're not dead. Death doesn't hold them. Death will not hold me. Death will not hold you. Death does not hold them. God is the God of the living, not the dead. God is about life. God is about resurrection. We're in this time when death is part of the distortion of God's creation. But Jesus came to put an end to that. And Jesus' victory over sin and death is our victory over sin and death. Why? Because God is the God of the living, not the dead. The living, not the dead. So that should always, for me, and I think for others, I know for others, that should always point us 
toward the value, the beauty, the joy in life. That in every case, we choose life, 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 life. Because God is the God of the living, not the dead. God lives, Jesus lives, Death will hold none of us. None of us. So it's, it's, and I think one thing to be sure to take away is that Jesus points them to the scriptures when he tells them this. He doesn't really explain it in great detail. I'm sure they left just shaking their heads confused. Nicodemus in John 3 left shaking his head. But Jesus is pointing people to their own scriptures. He says, I am the fulfillment, right, of the law and the prophets. If you understood them as you should, you would understand me. But you don't, and so you don't. And so the Sadducees who thought that they had figured a way themselves to trap Jesus instead got themselves spanked. Spanked by Jesus. And it's, it's just, for me, it's just powerful. And it, it's, it's this ever-present reminder that if you are coming, if you're going to come to know God, if you're going to come to know Jesus, who is fully and completely God, if you're going to come to know the good news, you have to begin with the scriptures and you have to allow them to anchor you. And if you find yourself drifting further and further away with your own glorious contemplations of all things wonderful, getting further and further removed from the teachings of scripture, you need to catch yourself and go back and grab them. Because we can tell, wield beautiful, let me see. We can do what the Sadducees do. We can invent lots of clever little reasons to not believe in God. Sure we can. So you have to come back to scripture. You have to come back to the truth of the resurrection and let that be the ground, right? That, that, that you stand on in all things. It doesn't mean it's always easy. I mean, scriptures, you know, it, it, there's there's an art to it. We get, we get. I'm sure we get many things wrong, but there's no other way. There's just no other way. All right. So, anything, anybody else? Okay. So now, <coughs> also still on Tuesday. We're not even going to finish Tuesday today, you know. No. Here we go. This is just, this is one of the great, great passages in the New Testament. Now, so we finished with the tenet of the parable. We finished with the taxes. We finished with the Sadducees and resurrection and stuff. Now, one of the teachers of the law, a Pharisee, a scribe, one of the learned people. See, most people are not learned. Um, there's 
rudimentary um, literacy. We probably there's probably more people who are literate literate enough to work, right, and write things that they need to would be helpful to them to write. And but by and large, it's an oral culture with a class of elites who are very skilled in reading and writing and so forth, and though there are people like the Pharisees and the scribes. So one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. This would be, who's the them? What did we just read about? Remember, all of this is, just in your Bible, it might be broken up with sex and headings and stuff, but it's talking about the Sadducees. Heard them debating. Jesus, the Sadducees are going on at Jesus. He's coming back. And of course, you know, we get the conversation in a few sentences. But you know it's a much longer conversation than that, right? Right. In all these instances, I mean, it's not over in just a few words. I, I think except with respect to the tax thing. I think the pithiness of that is just so wonderful that I hope it was over in just a few words. But... <coughs> <coughs> By and large, that isn't how we do things. So we'll call him a Pharisee, this teacher of the law. Noticing that Jesus had given them, the Pharisees, a good answer. <coughs> Getting out a lot since on He asked them of all the commandments, which is the most important. done so well all day. I'm going mute for one second. Don't go anywhere. Okay. Okay, I think everybody can hear me now. Will somebody type in and say to me, you can hear me? I just took it off mute. I think we're good. So, yeah. So I put it on mute and Patty and I, Patty said something. I said, well, they can't hear me. And she said, Scott. They but they can see, see you. you. Choking over there. He really has, I swear, y'all, if you heard him yesterday, he really sounded great. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm really doing fine today. I'm it's just been, talking. I have to talk a lot here. Yes, that's what Okay, everybody. Thank you. Yay. Okay. So this this Pharisee, scribe, whichever, comes to Jesus. You gave a really good answer to those to those Sadducees. Now, of all the commandments, this would be from the law of Moses, right? This would be from the Torah, from the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is the heart of it all, the law of Moses. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Notice the question is expressed as a singular. Which is the most important? Which one is the most important? That is the question. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. And here he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is not original to Jesus. He's just quoting from the scroll of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your mind, <coughs> nuts, Goodness. and with all your strength, <coughs> sorry. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. <laughs> Patty just said, I think you've talked too much today, Scott. Probably true. Okay, so the first one is from Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, verse 4. Now, Jesus does make one addition. If you looked up 6-4, you would find it says, with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. But there's one change here, one addition, and with all your mind. And why? Well... As far as I know, one thing that developed in the Jews was a sense of mind that probably didn't exist at the time of Deuteronomy. So it just re reflects growth in understanding and ways of speaking of things and philosophy and the rest. And so this heart and soul and mind and strength is a way to express what? Your whole entire person. Your heart, which for the Jews was the, um, it was the source of will and purpose. Your soul, which is not the way we think about it so much. It is the animating force in your life that makes you alive. Your mind, right? Paul talks about the mind it is, it lead, the mind is how we navigate life and we think and we learn and we grow. And finally, all your strength, of course. So your whole, your whole embodiment, Jesus says, quoting Deuteronomy, is focused on um, loving God. That's the greatest commandment. Of all the law of Moses, all that stuff written about all kinds of things, that is the most important commandment. It became, it became the beginning of a prayer called the Shema that the Jews would say every day. If you watch one of these television series about Orthodox Jews, these, there are several scripted dramas now about Orthodox Jews, you will see it come to play there the Shema, this prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And it has to, that has to be the first one. It has to begin with God. It has to begin with God. Um, and nowhere else. And so with that, because you are beginning with God, there is a second one. But it is the second one, not the first one. Look at what Jesus says. The most important one, Jesus says, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The second, there's a second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no commandment greater than these. Greater than these two. You're not going to find anything that you're going to think is going to vault up there, you know, like above these two. These are the two. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbors yourself. What most people don't grasp is that even the love your neighbors yourself, that is not original with Jesus. That comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. Chapter 19, verse 18. Wow. So, from way back, when the Jews had been to Mount Sinai with Moses and were then heading for the Promised Land, they knew, they knew what God wanted from them and what God wanted for them. That they would love God, they would be faithful to God, and they would love their neighbor, and they would be faithful to their neighbor. And this tragic story of the Old Testament is their unwillingness to do that. And the story of Jesus is the story of one faithful Jew, one righteous Jew, who would truly, every day, love God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength and love his neighbor as himself. That's the way to express this seemingly boring doctrine that Jesus was sinless. All that means is that Jesus didn't engage in the behaviors that put separation between me and God, Patty and God, all of you and God, don't have to be giant things. They're all the small ways every day in which we fail to love God or fail to love others. And of course, who are the others? Who's my neighbor? Well, gosh, that's a parable of the Good Samaritan. That's like the person you least think is your neighbor is your neighbor, right? So, so it's just, it's just so foundational. And we've, we've taught this so long at St. Andrew that Whenever it comes up, I find that everybody pretty much gets this right. When I pose the questions to people and stuff, they know, okay, the first great commandment is to love God. The second commandment is to love others. You can use visual helps, maybe with your kids or grandkids. So if you think about the cross, the, there's the vertical, you're right, there's the vertical, the horizontal. So the vertical is, is loving God and the horizontal is loving neighbor. Um, lots of ways to teach and make this, um, make this, embed this deeply in us. In Deuteronomy, when they are told this, um, they're instructed to take these words, love the Lord your God, and, and bind them on their foreheads and on their wrists and post them on the doorposts and stuff. And all of those became Jewish practices keeping it front of mind all the time because it's not easy to keep in front of mind all the time is it we live a, you know the world wants to push it away we live in a world that's working awfully hard to push it away sometimes so it's very hard for us day to day to day hour to hour to embed ourselves in love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself it's not complicated. It's not hard. 
I mean, it's hard. It's hard to do. I grant you, but it's not hard to understand. That, that it's not hard to comprehend. We don't have to complicate it. Where, where Arthur, I think, said in his service yesterday that he's looking toward doing a fall sermon series on the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, and the whole list of nine, which he has memorized and I have not. So, um, what are they? What's the fruit of the spirit? They, there are the expressions, nine expressions of what it means to love God and to love others, lived out in large ways and small ways. So, Jesus says this, verse 32. Now the man says, well said, teacher. Well said. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength. And to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Wow, this man gets it. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. This, this man, we don't know his name. We don't know who he is, what. But he gets it right. And he understands it. And he can... There are a lot of places for him to go. Um, let's close. Keep... keep Keep that Mark passage right there, verse 33, in front of your mind, and go to Micah. I don't we need this in print. I need this on my iPad. Okay, Scott. So go to, go to Micah, chapter 6. Sometimes it would be easier if I were doing this in print, but there you go. Go to chapter 6, Micah 6, verse 6. Because this is exactly where the man is. Exactly where the man is. Chapter 6, verse 6. Micah chapter 6, verse 6, okay? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will Yahweh be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? What an artful line that is. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. These people could write the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. And then verse 8 falls. He, this is God, God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does Yahweh require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, 
to walk humbly with your God. And in those brief words about acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with God, we find expressions of what it means to love God and to love neighbor. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want the rivers of oil. He doesn't want the sacrificed animals. That whole system of sacrifice was, was only meant for a time. It was no fix. When, I, when I've taught this sometimes, I've come to the point of calling the whole sacrificial system like a splint. You know, it's like a splint. A splint that goes on the leg because you can't stand up otherwise, but it's not the fix. It's not, it's not the cure. It's just trying to get you along until your leg is healed. Well, the system of sacrifices and priests is like a splint. And it isn't what God wants from us. And the splint is gone in the arrival of Jesus because he is the cure. In him we are healed. Right? So the, the young lawyer gets it right. Sure. Love God. Love neighbor. He doesn't want rivers of oil and all the rest of it from us, burnt sacrifices and offerings. That, that's not the point. So Jesus is just, I bet Jesus is a little bit taken aback at that moment. Ah, this man, he knows. And then he says, and you are not far from the kingdom of God, my friend. Wow, powerful stuff. So when we come together next week, we will pick it up. It will still be Tuesday. I mean, we have class on Monday, I know. But in the telling of Mark's gospel, it's still going to be that Tuesday. Many, many things happen on that Tuesday. And um, in the opening little story, Jesus both asks the question himself and then doesn't answer it very clearly. Anyway, so we'll do that next Monday, um, still in Mark 12, and we will go on to the um, Mark 13, which is an apocalyptic section in Mark's gospel as we approach closer and closer to Jesus's arrest and trial and the Last Supper and all of that. Okay. Well, I didn't know if I'd make it to the end for a minute there, huh? I know. Patty? I know. And everybody must Honestly, have. Honestly, folks, he really has been doing great. Yeah. It was interesting to see yesterday that Arthur still had it, and Arthur's had it for as long as Scott has had it, the cough. Or longer, this even. lingering cough. This lingering cough. But otherwise... Truly, he's great, and I don't know if he's coughed today up until now. <laughs> but Just it every did once sound in a while, scary. it hits, and you get a little bit. I of that. will be honest; it did sound it's time scary. To take and a little, we apologize. It's time for to that. take a little something, something. That's probably true. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, thank you all so much for being here today. Um, Louise, we're just thrilled yeah. that you've stumbled upon us. We're here every single Monday at 3 o'clock and uh, Tuesdays at noon. Right. Same place. At Dana Pira Hall. And, and also online. Yes. Uh, and we're studying Second um, Samuel right now, and it's really getting good. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's really getting good. So, anyway, let's close in prayer. And again, thank you so much for being here. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very, very much for this time to come together and study your word. We thank you, God, that we could be in such a safe place, a safe environment and air conditioning, everything, God, that we have uh, 
you know, right now at our disposal, we're very, very blessed. We pray, God, that you would watch over each of us today and our family and our friends. We pray, Lord, that you would give us good health. We pray, God, for our safety, and we pray, God, for your wisdom and your discernment in our lives. We pray, God, for all of those in Maui today and the previous days, what they've gone through in the very, very long, long future of rebuilding um, back this beautiful paradise on earth. We love you, Lord, and we will see you when we see you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you when we see yes, you. Yes, whenever huh? Jesus is ready, we say, Maranatha, come, come Lord, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Okay. So whenever, <laughs> so whenever that day may be. Bye, okay. guys. Adios, everybody. Have a great afternoon.